Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Animals, Kadoja, and Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift, Wanders of Melisanda, and Paradise Hills. Yeah, man. You are also a beer influencer, dare I say. I am. Well, at least at least you are in one technical sense we'll get to in a minute. But uh, okay, okay, beer influencer. What beer would you like to influence 10 billion listeners to run out there and get right now? This week, it is by Joseph Brow. It is their Oktoberfest beer. Now, if I remember correctly, Joseph Brow is a Trader Joe's brand. That is um, correct. It is very inexpensive. I really enjoyed the, the heft that I got from them. And mm-hmm. those were super cheap. I think it was like four bucks or something for a six pack, four or yeah. five bucks, four to six bucks for a six pack, which is crazy. Mm. Um, okay. And those beers were fantastic. So I'm looking forward to having this Oktoberfest. Now, I will admit, I was doing a little prep work and I started drinking Harland, oh. Harland Japanese lager because I found last week's episode to be fantastic. Mm. Now, I haven't heard it back, but when I was recording <laughs> it, I'm like, I'm fucking on fire right now. And I think it's because I had already loosened up by having a beer before the pod. So I was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's give it a go. But uh, before I realized it, you were already calling me that it was time to record. And I was like, oh, shit, I got pulled into this page. And um, so, yeah, lost all track of time, got halfway through this beer. So I'm doing a little bit of double duty. But that's okay because the Joseph Brows are always 12 ounces. uh, That's that's good. I I, I like to picture you just sitting there like almost in a hammock. Like, like ankles crossed, just laying there with your hands behind your head. And you're going like, you know what, man? Last week's episode was great. And you know what? I'm great. I'm going to relive some of that greatness right now with that Harlan again. So I, I, I don't tell me otherwise. That's just how I'd like to roll. I was going to say, you watching me? <laughs> I'm outside your house. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's the twist. Okay. I did so, have my legs kicked up in my recliner with my legs okay. crossed and it was a beautiful day out and uh, oh, I was yeah. sitting there and drawing and that All exact right. conversation happened in my head. So, yeah, not <laughs> I mean, too that's far like off. I mean, I'm like 89% correct there it turns out. Okay, so why why I know that no matter what you are a beer influencer friend is because my beer Scott Speculoos Cookie Butterbeer, mm-hmm. Imperial, Imperial Golden Ale with Toasted Coconut, Vanilla Beans, and Natural Flavors. It sounds familiar because I finally got my ass to a Trader Joe's and you would nice. let me know that it's around. So uh, so this is the first of a four-pack. So I am going to pop open this beer like so. And then you are going to tell me about the first thing that you did this week, man. What were you up to? So as of this recording, we are recording one day early from when we recorded last week. So with that said, I am 85% done with a page that I'm working on right now. And I will finish by either tonight or tomorrow, which means this is a three-page week for your boy. Ooh. I literally finished fuck? three pages start to finish. Um, I had my thumbnails for all three pages, but pencils, inks, got that shit all done. Three pages this week. I am on fucking fire. Like, this is a great feeling. I was hoping this was going to hold from the previous week. I had, I believe I got one page done um, at the 24-hour mark. Two of these three pages are at the 24-hour mark. The third one, 
might actually be pretty close. Um, the way I can usually tell is I create the file that day that I start working on it. This page that I'm working on, I happened to create it the night before because I had finished the page. Uh, and I was like, yeah, let's just set up the next one. So the timing might be a little off on that, but I do believe this page will be somewhere close to the 24 hour mark as well. So, um, I'm knocking these things out. I'm really excited about how this is going. Um, it all worked. The numbers work because if I'm doing two, two days, basically, um, to get these pages done, uh, it works as far as the numbers go. So six days, three pages, um, uh, I'm kicking some ass on this stuff for sure. Okay. Now, so that's, that's, fa that's fantastic. But now it's time for the, the question that, that's in my brain. Why do you think that is? I think it's the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour thing. I think, I think I might be getting close to that number as far as hours spent penciling. Um, that is honestly the only thing that I could really think of. Uh, oh, oh, you know, along with the studying that I had been doing uh, over the last few weeks. You know, this week has been slow as far as the studying goes because the pages are just just flowing so so well that I don't want to interrupt that that progress and that process. So I would say it's those two things: um, just doing a bit more studying that I needed to do, and uh, the Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I've never timed. I've never timed it out. I've never, you know, gone like, okay, I know roughly how, how long these pages take and then try to add them all up, do the multiplication, all that shit. Um, but it just seems like I've leveled up in the sense as far as the speed goes and just the understanding of the form and how I do things. Everything is just moving along, uh, at a quicker state. And, uh, it's, it's really nice, man. Like, like, yeah. so that would be my guess. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, for those of you out there curious on the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour rule, I did the math a long time ago because mm. that's what I do. You know, Ed, right now, Ed's probably smiling because last episode I had a real numbers foster moment and, uh, and I have a numbers foster moment right now, which is 10,000 hours is roughly one hour a day for 30 years, mm. just to give you an idea. But things get a little bit more interesting if you do more than one hour a day. It's two hours a day for 15 years, and it's three hours a day for 10 years. So we've been doing this for about almost a dozen years, you know, yeah. so the math, I, I think the math in a lot of ways checks out. You know, I, I haven't bothered to think about my own novel writing journey, I guess, if you want to call it that. People overuse the word journey right now, and, and I don't think I'm overusing it there, but, uh, Shit, but I feel like uh, both of us have used it on the pod, but not in an egregious way, you know? Yeah. Like, I always talk about my art journey and stuff like that, and I think it's uh, I think it's appropriate for a process podcast. I, absolutely, absolutely. I, and, and to that point, I think it's, it's inappropriate for other things where I hear it, where people just overuse it, because it sounds cool. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I've been... Boy... I mean, in, in terms of what I've done, I'm not interested in, in wondering whether I got to the 10,000 hours or not. But I mean, when you talk about some days with my novel, most days it's at least two hours. And some days it might be five. It might be six where where I'm just digging in or reading. I mean, if you're reading a novel and you're writing a novel, both of those things count, right? So anyway, um, we digress, but I, I think that's great. And I think that's always interesting to hear people talk on why they think they've broken through to this new level and, and what could be responsible for it. 
Yeah, if, if we're going off your numbers there, then it makes sense and that does add up. Um, because for a lot of years, you know, like if you're working a day job or something like that, you're not going to get the amount of hours per day that you would want. I, I remember for quite some time, I was basically getting an hour and a half to two and a half hours a day to draw. And that would be me stealing time. Now, this is something I think we talked about in year one of this podcast, which is um, me stealing time when I can, or you guys uh, as creatives stealing time when you can. So mm -hmm. if you are working a job or two jobs or whatever the case is, and you just have so many responsibilities that it really limits the amount of creative time that you have for yourself, you have to steal it where you can. Yeah. So how I would do that was go into work early, get there 30 minutes early, draw for 30 minutes, and that's me starting my day off right. Mm -hmm. Um, number one, I get ahead of the traffic a bit Two, I start off my day doing the thing I actually give a shit about, which is drawing. And then you get two 15 minute breaks. You use those to draw or write whatever you're doing. That's, that's one hour right there. So you'll leave your work doing at least one hour of creative stuff that you wouldn't have got before. So, um, and then now, just times are different. Now I have so much time to create. I have basically all day. I have all day to create. And it's it's fantastic. And I think it's really sped up the process. And just going by your numbers, I got a Facebook notification that me and my colorist have been friends for 13 years. Which means I started working with him 13 years ago. Um, I found him on a colorist website. We became friends on Facebook straight away. That was the easiest way to communicate. And um, so... I'm like, oh, shit, I've been doing this for 13 years. You know, like when we talk about it, we're like, oh, yeah, 11 plus years. No, it's fucking been 13. It's so yeah. crazy how that works yeah. out. And um, yeah, so 13 years times, you know, X amount of years for one to three hours a day. And then now it's like eight hours a day, you know, eight hours a day. I'm getting to draw, put the work in. And I think it's just accelerating those 10,000 hours and my process and my artistic journey. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, okay, no, that's, that's cool. So I think in the spirit of, of overusing the word journey, a lot of my topics this week, including the main topic, they're going to be very meandering. So to get started, we're going to talk about my, my second novel and with, with my second novel, I had, you know, my, my mother just got on a plane yesterday, so it was, it was a great couple weeks while she was here, and now, of course, with my schedule kind of opening up, I'm delving back into the things I'm, I'm delving into, but even while she was here, I was thinking about this in terms of the novel, and I had written to a certain point, and I've, I've gotten good workshops back, which has been great. It's, it's good to see that there's a lot of things I'm doing right already in the first draft, but what I think is failing me in this first no a second novel is the villain. I don't think I've thought through the villain enough. I, I, I mean, I've written down things that are like the base things about, you know, stats, things, anything that jumps in my head, but I don't think I've th thought it through well enough. And the way that I can think about it is like, what that made the novel do was kind of bob along the waves instead of cut through them like a speedboat. Right. I mean, there's there's something to be said for picking those moments where, you know, I mean, your your story has to be propulsive. So it can't just bob along the waves. And I think that's one of the the one of the contributors. So what I did was I thought through the villain and and realized what I want out of the villain. 
And I think that's going to make the book better. And that gives the villain and the villain's henchmen motives, right? And that creates a more propulsive story. So it started with all this stuff. And and how I think, I, I feel that I'm in a better place. And I may have to go back and rewrite some things. At least this is what I thought two days ago. That I'd have to go back and rewrite some things. Then arrive at the point I'm at right now. You know, in other words, I've written almost 200 pages in this novel, I think. It's not quite as propulsive as I want. Therefore, I need to go back and rewrite those first 200. That's the thing I want to do most because otherwise I'm just writing to pad stats. I don't want to write to pad stats. We've we've had similar instances of me doing this before. So now I feel that I just need to go back and make some changes and then I'll be good. At least that's what I thought two days ago, Scott. Because two days ago, I had one of those ideas, one of those ideas where it was like, oh, shit, what if I did this? And what's interesting about this idea is let's let's talk about the idea real quick before I get back to let's talk about the origin of it. I, I, you know, this this goes back to the whole like you never know what things of your past you are going to repurpose until all of a sudden you repurpose them. And Scott knows the details on this. In fact, he's hinted at it on some level with Three Protectors, with a character that's going to be in Three Protectors Volume 2. That character is actually a fusion of a leftover idea I had musically and a leftover leftover idea from a novel I never wrote and those two things coming together. The novel I never wrote was the novel that I thought I was going to write when I took my first novel class. I was convinced that that was what the novel was going to be. And then I changed my mind for a couple reasons, all good, and then ended up writing what turned out to be my first horror novel. So I mentioned that. And and so those you know two separate things ended up forming a character in Three Protectors. But that novel, that novel that I only wrote 40 pages of and just had an outline for, there's an idea in that novel that may fit this novel. And it was the idea where I was like, oh, shit, what if I did this for the villain? And it's one of those ideas that's simultaneously, you can't, like, simultaneously, I can't think of how the novel would work without it now. And yet I have no idea how to execute it. So it's simultaneously something that I don't think I can let go of yet. I'm not sure how to write yet. So I'm going to have to figure that out. And again, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're in a mood to go a little more freeform today. Yeah. And so, so the, there, there's another thing about that idea. So as an idea, I'm still trying to figure out how to execute it. But the other thing that I sort of halted myself with, and it'll be interesting to hear your opinion on it, is if I do the second novel this way, then it's going to have a stylistic similarity a structural similarity to the first novel to the point where it's like, Oh, that, that is sort of like my first novel at 20,000 feet. If you look at it. And then that begged the question, like, is that, do I want to do that then? Do I want to give myself a style this quickly? Do I want to sort of have both novels fall into this similar enough structure? Um, what do you think before before I tell you where I arrived? What do you think? I think 
I think a lot of writers write from a structure. So I don't think that's so much of an issue to, to me personally. Um, I think a lot of creative endeavors do come from a structure, like a, a base structure that they're working off of. And you take your divergence where you do. But um, overall, I don't really see a problem with that. That's pretty much where I arrived. Where I arrived was, who cares? And maybe I should just think more about writing the story I want to write instead of considering my overall body of work when it comes to all of my stories. And, and the one thing, Scott, that allowed me to punch through this really quickly is my comics are nothing like that. There you go. Like, right. I've, I've written stories before that don't follow this formula. So, okay, yeah, it just turns out that maybe my first two books will follow that formula. But, yeah, I mean, if someone, hey, if we get to the point where I'm, I've got this second novel out a couple of years in the future from now, and people decide to get on Goodreads and give me one star because this is just like the same formula in his first novel. Well, you know, number one, you bought the book, right? <laughs> number two, uh, fuck you. <laughs> you know and it's it's also part of the um what you're doing in the store is what matters so a lot of i would say disney follows a a rigid structure when they're doing their movies marvel movies yeah. follow a rigid structure and it's what's going on in the movie that's what's supposed to Take you take you out totally. of it essentially. Take you away from the structure. Like, totally. okay, is this movie good enough for me to not notice the structure? Okay, then then we're good. But yeah. uh, if it's just kind of like, you know, I'll use a uh, Blue Beetle for instance. We watch Blue Beetle on a four dollar four dollar movie day, mm. and it was worth four dollars. But mm. it was worth four dollars because it was the same structure as most superhero movies it was like okay we have the funny character we have the redemption story we have this we have the comedic supporting character you know yeah. and it was just play by numbers and it's like yeah those are all the numbers that people like but i i see it now you you know you do this long enough you watch stuff long enough you create books long enough you see the matrix you're like yeah, yeah okay but it's it you know it was like when i was wrestling as well i think i've used this uh, comparison a couple of times was you know, as a wrestler um, that was at a certain level, you no longer watch matches as entertainment. You you try to, but you find yourself, or at least I should say, I found myself dissecting all of all of the matches that I watched. Like everything I was watching, I was just taking it apart, and so I wasn't able to enjoy it for what it was. There were a couple of matches where I I could step. I, I was taken out of. Um, examiner brain, like student of mm -hmm. the game brain. It wasn't there. I was back in the, the, the story. I was back in the match watching it because of the story that they were telling. And it was just such a convincing story that I, I was no longer that person dissecting it. And so you can have those movies. Um, unfortunately, Blue Beetle wasn't one of those. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Um, so I, I made a couple notes while you were talking because I didn't want to forget. So I think to stay on this structure thing for a second, because I'm going to I'm going to riff on yet another tangent here in a second. One of the things that that also grounded me was the fact that Neil Gaiman, uh, in a couple of his novels, he has a structure. And I can't remember what was first. He, you know, his first big novel was American Gods. I can't remember what his second big novel was. But if it was Neverwhere, Neverwhere is a hell of a lot like American Gods 
at the 15, 20,000 foot level. So that's why I'm not concerned, right? If I stick to it for a third one, a fourth one, a fifth one, fine. Maybe the third one is the one where I become conscious of the structure. And maybe by the time it comes out, it it won't even feel like it has that structure. I, I think I'm at the spot in the novel now where it's time to play with structure. That was actually one of the notes I got in my workshop the other night that Currently, I'm writing the novel in third person close, which I love. My first novel was, is written in third person close. And they said, what if you write omniscient? What if you take multiple POVs? So I'm probably going to sit down and do some big thinking and, and ask myself what works and just sort of simulate out the novel with each of those and what those would look like and what their pros and cons would be. It's a, I'm going to be on an airplane in a couple days. Perfect, perfect way to pass time on an airplane, you know, um, especially since it's Southwest. So I'll probably like have my knees in my throat and I won't, <laughs> won't be super comfortable. Right. right. But um, but anyway, so so that's kind of thing. Number one, that, you know, what we've said the last few minutes, no reason to get obsessed with structure yet. Write the story the best way it's meant to be told. Yeah. Um, the second thing, the second thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, this formula thing, which which you brought up with Blue Beetle, which I think is interesting because. Like Marvel movies have a formula, but Marvel's Marvel's released like 33 movies or something like that. So if you have 33 bits of evidence, it's a lot clearer, a lot easier to see that formula there and, and to have your concerns when you feel like it's going somewhere interesting and then swerves back on the mechanical track so it can stick to the formula. Um, I know that's been my you know, mild gripe with a couple uh, things of theirs that I've watched, but I also felt like, oh, it was going into a place that I thought was super interesting, and then it kind of veered a little back onto the formula, and I, I would have liked if it had done something else. But hey, I ain't the one making the making the movie, right? But that made me think, Scott, randomly, <clears throat> and I'm going to sort of bring in a little bit of bullshit here. I listed a few comics on eBay, because it was just time. It's time for me to sell them. I, I, I like the money. I, I bought them. I don't love them. Marie Kondo, baby. You know, let's get rid of them. If you haven't tried to list something on eBay within the last month or two, AI will now write your description if you touch a button. What? So I get into my item description and it says, would you like AI to write this description? I'm like, fuck it. Why not? Let's try it. See what see what it does. Dude, it was quite good. It was quite good. Now, I still ended up, you know, tweaking it, getting rid of half of it, etc. Because it was also a little too stock and didn't understand how eBay listings work sometimes. But it was basically the hype bit for the thing I was selling. And uh, so, yeah, it was quite good. But what I think is interesting is that by it being quite good, it's going to require what I think is going to happen in addition to the fact that people now have to declare AI content, again, if for those of you that have not either, I, I've done all of these things. I have listed on eBay, I have submitted a Kickstarter, and I have sent queries to an agent, or at least I've, I've helped on a Kickstarter. In all of those things, they now ask you, they make you check a box that say, I, I don't have AI content. Because if you do, mm. they're going to they're gonna put you somewhere else. They're going to they're gonna put you to a different place in the line. So what I think is going to happen is AI is going to cause people who are not AI to raise their game because, and and in a weird way, writers out there, I I don't think artists have anything to worry about yet, but I think writers mess around with AI for a little bit 
only for the reason to see what the floor is, right? Mm. Only to see what a robot can write and how you can be different from that. You know, I, 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 in a weird way, seeing that made it helpful. And I think it brings it back to this formula, this kind of stuff that like, you know, not, not to take a dump on it or anything, but it sounds like AI could have made a pretty good pass at the script for Blue Beetle based and on who knows if condition. it did. You know yeah. what I mean? That's so right. like, yeah, uh, I'm with you on it. Um, side story. Uh, well, I mean, it pertains to this. And uh, full disclosure, Keith and I do not support AI in yeah, of course, uh, any kind of artistic endeavor. Yeah, yeah. Just know that, all right? Yes, true, true. Sorry, I I feel like I don't need to say that, but it's always helpful. You never know. We have people that, you know, start listening with the newest episodes and work their way back or whatever. And they're like, why is Keith saying to try AI? Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm saying to to try it so that you can understand what the baseline is. Totally. So that you can get better than that and make sure that you're not falling into the traps that a robot can write. Absolutely. And uh, with all that said, one of my buddies was messing around with AI. Um, he's a teacher. And it was like it was re- requested from them from the school district was, hey, try using this, you know, for whatever whatever the task was. I can't remember what it was. doesn't matter. Um, but he started fucking around with it in the comics form. And he's like, OK, give me. I believe it was X-Men meets the alien movie um, and with, I think, Mr. Sinister as the main villain or whatever. And he gave a premise of the story or or a synopsis or whatever, right? Then AI, he wanted five issues. AI did a synopsis of each issue. It was pretty fucking good. I was yeah. like, I would read that book. And that, yeah. that's like, that's the fucked up thing is it's getting so good that it's scary. And it's just like, yeah. to your point... Um, writers do need to step up their game artists they do have stuff to worry about storyboard artists are fucked like as far as work goes if hollywood is allowing ai to do storyboard art countless artists will be losing their jobs um which pay quite well from what i understand yeah so it's it's an issue and i am glad that um like kickstarter and other sites are requesting to know, hey, is AI involved with your your artistic projects? So that's perfect. I'm glad websites are doing that. I'm glad they're sticking them in a whole different category because you're going to have those people out there that are just going to kind of, you know, cheat the system, essentially. It's like, well, how do I become a better writer? Oh, I don't need to anymore because I have this computer that will make me a better writer with just the ideas that I have. See, I'm not a writer. I'm an idea man. I'm an it's idea like, guy. Exactly. Yeah. So those motherfuckers, those are the ones that are not going to try to improve their craft in any kind of way because they've found their shortcut. Um, yeah. Well, they will lose out. They will lose. You will lose eventually because, again, any writer, any artist worth their weight is going to understand that oh wow this motherfucker alan iverson is everywhere (laughs) i gotta stay ahead of him (laughs) you know so so to get ahead of alan iverson this is what you're going to have to do right right you you need a better answer Mm -hmm. than alan iverson for you non-basketball heads out there alan iverson's nickname is the answer (laughs) oh my god that's so great it's like a it's like a, a follow along Keith is making a reference to Alan Iverson's nickname being the answer. 
Okay. Anyway, so I, I think that was a very meandering sort of faraway branch that we started at when we got to my first main, you know, this is only still my main topic, but I think it's helpful. Right. And, yeah. and I, and I, I promised wandering and, and we delivered wandering, God damn it. So yeah. with that, uh, let's get to it, to the, your second thing, man. What was it? You know, there was a couple of things that I realized I hadn't mentioned about the three pages of the second shift that I've worked on. So what I had written down was I had two pages done um, this week, moved it to three. I had written down I had five pages done total. It's six pages. I got six pages done total of this book. So I am fucking flying through it. Um, I penciled one page roughly in four hours on, I believe it was the second page this week. So I made sure to write that down. It's like, oh, fuck, I penciled this whole page relatively quickly. And it took me six hours to ink it. Now, my days aren't just me sitting there drawing all day long. It's like broken up into things that I have to do throughout the day. So hence the 24 hour mark on a lot of these pages, you know, um, but it's, it's still going relatively quickly, you know, like, the fact that I'm able to start and finish within a total of 24 hours as opposed to doing the same amount of hours per page. You know, I think one of the last pages I did, I think it was like 15 hours. Um, I would say that's roughly the average for how long a page takes me to do. But it's usually about a week for me to get to do it. Um, so it's a matter, I think I'm also focusing more um, as I'm doing this. And just like I said, speed, like the structure part of it is coming easier, which makes it easier for me to sit there. It doesn't feel like me trying to figure shit out. It's like, no, no, you've drawn this, something similar to this before. You know what that shape looks like in this certain perspective, um, you know, and then you just kind of know the rules of, uh, you know, layout and, and whatnot and what looks good, what doesn't look good. So that part of the process is coming a lot faster and moving a lot quicker. So I just wanted to mention those couple of things. Um, and so my second thing is Paradise Hills is coming along. I talked to Joaquin. I got a couple more pages in. There's less and less corrections that are going on in these pages. Um, there was one thing that I had him add. It was, so if you look at Studio Ghibli films, there's not a lot of highlights to the characters. The character is basically a flat color with a cell shading to it uh, for the most part. At least those are the screen caps that I sent him. And so that was what he was emulating when he's been coloring the story. And I was like, look, dude, backgrounds look great. Characters look great. They're looking a little flat. I need, I know the Studio Ghibli doesn't have a highlight in, in the characters that I sent you, but if you could add a highlight to the characters, you know, and mm. again, didn't say anything, <laughs> didn't say anything. A few days later, got another page. He goes, let me know if you like like this highlight. If so, I'll go back and I'll add it to the rest of the pages. Yeah. I said, love it. Looks great. No corrections. And then um, I was like, this is pretty much the same style you're doing with second shift 11 and, uh, 11 and 12, which were the Drawtober issues. He wanted, he's been wanting to try a different coloring method on second shift because I had done a post years ago and I think it was second shift nine and there were a couple of panels and the characters looked really animated and they had this nice, nice kind of blend between American and uh, Japanese uh, style art. And I was like, like anime or manga. And I was like, that's what I've been wanting for a while. It's basically kind of like the Marvel Capcom style of art, which I really mm -hmm. like. It's like, yeah, I want that blend between American and Asian art. And those panels were it. 
he saw that post and he goes, hey, I want to try this style out with your book and let me know how it goes. So I was like, fuck it. Let's do it on the Drawtober. They took me a month um, to do. If I don't like it, it's not a big deal. We just won't do it moving forward, right? And um, it looked really cool. But when I look at when I look at Second Shift, I don't really see that style. It looked cool. There was nothing wrong with it. It was different. Um, I asked a couple of friends. They actually said they preferred it to the standard style of coloring that we use on it. But other people said they preferred the standard style. So it was kind of like a mixed review. Uh, but again, I'm always the tiebreaker. So I was like, you know what? I prefer the regular style. I do like this. Maybe we could meet in the middle. Maybe you can add some cell shading to the standard style that we do on it. And it's kind of a blend of both worlds. You know, again, I'm a have your cake, eat it too type of guy. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so I asked him, I was like, hey, this is the style you were doing on issues 11 and 12, basically, right? And he goes, yeah, just way more work for the backgrounds. <laughs> so, um, okay. and we went back and forth and we had a good laugh about a couple of things. So, um, and there was some direction because I had gotten that alternate cover um, back from that black and white artist uh, back from the 80s. And I had flatted that and sent it to him. And he goes, yeah, I saw that. I've been meaning to ask you about that. How are we coloring it? So we talked about it, you know, and we're good to go. So, um, Everything is good. I asked him if we can have Paradise Hills done by the end of this month because I do want to do a Kickstarter for it sooner than later. Um, just because in the new year, we're going to have so many more books that are done. Like, okay, so we're going to have the Drawtober as well. So there's the Astounding Adventures, which has Paradise Hills in it, which is an anthology book. Um, and then Second Shift Drawtober will be coming out. And then Wanders Millisonda 4. So it's just like, all right, we... This this Paradise Hill story has been done for a while. The other two stories have been done for quite some time. So we need to get this book out because I'm getting basically a backlog of stuff that I'm going to have to throw on Kickstarter and I don't want to do them back to back months. You know what I mean? Let's get to my second thing. I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but I think it is helpful. I am a couple days away from being at Colorado Festival of Horror as yeah. we record this. Looking forward to it. It's something I haven't done in a while, which is it it is a flight trip. Like we've talked about before on the podcast, I'm generally avoiding flight kind of trips because it's an extra cost. And when you add flight, hotel and table, you run into cost problems. You run into, you know, needing a really high amount to make the table back. But I want to do Colorado Festival of Horror. So I am. And so I am in the position of having to pack suitcases for this show. And, uh, and you know, when you pack suitcases, that means you got to make good choices. It especially means you have to make good choices on product mix. Because what you want to, you know, you want to sell out as late as possible. You want to sell out, but you want to sell out ideally as late as possible on, on whatever your first book you sell out of is. So I, um, I, I wanted to mention this to people because in the past, in the past, let's go with 15 to 20% of the time, when you pack your comic books, your graphic novels specifically, in checked bags, TSA will open them because a bunch of graphic novels together triggers their sensors. I can't say I know this for a fact, but I know it anecdotally because it felt like for about three years there, every time I opened my goddamn check bag, I would have 
piece after piece of those doorbell knockers that TSA would leave to let you know that they had looked in your stuff. A couple times, I didn't need doorbell knockers at all. Because if I had Kadoja Volume 1 in a in a shrunk wrap thing of five, they would tear open the shrink wrap, and then they would put my books back in. And then those books would bounce around, and some of them would get damaged. And Keith would get very mad, because TSA is now messing with my money. It's okay if you got to do what you got to do. Leave it how you found it, or do whatever you need to do. Try to pack the things. Don't just barf them into my, my suitcase. So that's the kind of thing that was entering my head right now. And, and I'm going to try this new thing. And I'm, I'm really, I think it's going to work is that anybody who, who has gotten books back from the printer knows that they arrive in pretty big boxes. If it's a normal comic, you can fit about 300 comics in one large box that you're going to get from a print printer via UPS, whatever. So if you order amounts that are smaller, you're going to get a box that's only three, four inches high instead of your usual, you know, 10 to 12 inches high. But if you have a box that's 10 to 12 inches high, cut it down. And then what you can do is you can pack your books in that those smaller boxes and then layer those boxes in your suitcase as long as you don't hit maximum weight. So I'm hoping that'll work because odds are TSA is going to open my bag. But if they open my bag, they will at least see that the books are in a box and that I would that means that I want you to put those books back in the box after you have done whatever you need to do to make sure that, you know, I, I'm legit. Um, I got a tip from Mike Kingston that was very helpful and, and useful for the next time I travel with with things. They don't weigh your carry on. So you can you can shove as many books in your carry on as long as you're strong enough to put it in that overhead bin. So that's a nice little tip um, if you are doing some traveling and you're worried about going over that weight limit. So let's say you have two bags, right? One for check, one for carry on. Um, throw as many of those books as you can in in your carry on, just so you, as long as you know you can lift it over the head into that overhead bin. Mm-hmm. No, that's helpful. I mean, the, the other thing about a carry on is it's only it can only be a certain size, right? And so in my case, too, I should, since, since I'm not going to take long, but since I am flying into Denver and then taking Denver public transit to the hotel that the convention is at, I need to be conscious of how easily I can navigate the city of Denver. So I could technically bring three bags, but I don't think I can manage three bags. I think I'm just going to manage two. Right. And because Southwest allows two free check bags, I think it's in my best interest to just check two bags, walk on the plane with my banner stand and my backpack, and then I'm good to go, right? So part of that is factored in. Now, to your point, I may play around and see if there's a way for me to make that second bag a carry-on instead of a check bag, and maybe I can fit more books in there. But odds are I'm going to be okay. The good news is it's a horror convention, so I'm going heavy on animals, and Animals is a comic, so I get to fit a whole lot of copies of that and not feel too bad about it and not really trigger much weight stuff where it's the graphic novels that weigh a lot. So I know that that sort of stuff is logistical, and there's no way we're titling the episode that because we never would, because no one would listen. But it's yeah. helpful information <laughs> for, for those of you out there as you get more and more books or you find that you're actually ready to travel via air to some conventions, right? So... Helpful tip may may come in handy now, may come in handy later, but it'll come in handy at some point. Right on. You got anything else? 
No, man, I just had the two. Um, I realized that I had broken up the the second shift Drawtober stuff into two different sections. Um, so that's what threw me off. I thought I had three things. I actually just had the two. Okay, well, then, then let me do a very quick third thing, because I didn't realize I actually had a third thing, which is I got some art back. Um, you know mm-hmm. one of the things I got back, which was the the go-ahead design on Three Protectors' main cover for number two with actual, like, inking and colors. And so I did a quick quick run on that and got four yeses to resounding yeses alike. That's dope, you know? So it's always helpful that the work that we did upstream has led to such a cool cover. It's in a different color palette than Keith Foster's preferred palette, so I'm excited for that because it'll add a new color to the newsstand while I think still dipping into, to your point, my love of secondary colors. But uh, but yeah, man, it's it's it looks cool, and I'm I'm really excited for it. So that's thing number one. Yeah, it's a nice collaboration of a couple of the covers that we all liked, and him marrying those two things together, and it's nice to see them come together as opposed to just kind of me doing a quick shitty Photoshop version of it and him yeah. actually doing the fully rendered version. So yeah, it yeah, looks yeah. very cool. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. I, I Again, I dig it, and it's fun to see it uh, continuing to move on. And then the other thing is that I got completed pages back for three protectors. Oh, and, nice. and not only did I get completed pages back, um, he worked so fast and turned it around that I have gone on the next run of pages. So by the time I get these pages back, I'll be roughly halfway through, maybe a little more than halfway through, working with this artist. So we really only have a couple more months until all of the the inks for three protectors are complete. I will still need to do the color treatment for it, and I'll still need to letter it and stuff, but it's coming along. It, it looks killer. I'm really happy for it. I uh, I would have sent you the the inks that I got already, except it was delivered in Photoshop format, and so I couldn't open it from my phone. But I'll save those things oh, to JPEGs, yeah. and then I'll, I'll forward them along to you so you can see them. But yeah, man, I think I think they look really cool, man. I'm excited for this this manga look for what's going to amount to more than half of Volume Two of Three Protectors, man. It's come along really cool. Yeah, it, it's cool because you've got a nice string of artists that I think can potentially be with you for a while. Like, I know one artist in particular that you fancy and I enjoy as well is Carlo Romero. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's going to be your guy, you know, mm-hmm. like moving forward for a lot of the projects that you're uh, testing yeah. out or, or, or doing. He's at, you know, like, the price point is good. It's not too crazy. And um, his work is just fucking killer. So, yeah. and and this, this manga style artist that's working on these pages, he's really quick. Um, and, you know, that it's a guy that's probably definitely living off of his art. So mm-hmm. he is, you know, incentivized to work as fast as possible. And so with a guy like that, you can always count on him for future issues as well. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that that might, to your point, yeah, I mean, Carlo is in line for the time travel comic. That's that's yes. the book. He can tell me when he doesn't want to draw it anymore. If I have my way, he'll draw all three issues. It's up to him to decide whether that's what he wants to do or not. And yeah, and as for the three protectors, yeah, to that point, I might end up going a little faster in getting the art done to that, you know, using his speed and his talent as an incentive to write the third issue or the third volume of three protectors and maybe get that knocked out sooner rather than later, 
it'll hit me a little hard in the pocketbook. Um, but then again, you know, you you know what the prices of these guys are, and considering how good their work is, they're it's very very good. You know, so to your point, I'm I'm happy that I found a nice chunk of artists. And then of course, there's the potential artist waiting in the wings for animals, which is a third person, which could end up um, being really cool, depending on how far animals goes. I mean, animals is going two issues, but. The world's there in case uh, in case the public absolutely demands it. So we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. But um, but anyway, oh, yeah. so no, I'm I'm excited for that. And uh, and with that, let's get to our main topic. So it's going to involve a little bit more pontificating. Scott and I texted about this beforehand. That this is I think this is a little new for us because we're going to sort of hack something out on the fly. And see where it goes and and have an actual, you know, like a lot of times when we say it's a main topic, I'll do my homework, Scott will do his homework, or even at, at an absolute minimum, we'll know what we're going to talk about. Where here it's going to be a very free form kind of live discussion, right? It turns out that my mother being in town ended up helping this podcast out. Because on one of her last couple nights, so my, my mother can't use my Netflix anymore. Because, you know, Netflix won't let her because she lives oh, in yeah. Florida. Right. So so as a result, she ended up catching up on as many Netflix shows as possible. That's as far as I'm going to go to identifying what this show is, because I'm not going to name this show. She decides she wants to watch this show that she really likes. And, and that, you know, like my mother's in town. So even though I don't care that much about the show. Like we talked about before, I'll put my writing goals on the shelf. I'll put all this stuff on the shelf. I'm just going to sit there. I'm going to hang. If I can do something productive, I will throw an Instagram post out there, whatever. Think of some story ideas, sure. But I'll just sit here in the same room and absorb this show, even though I'm not paying attention to it. So we get to an episode of it. And the episode of it involves a character being in what is sort of like a coma-like state. Right. And I think enough of us have seen enough shows with breaking out of the coma or breaking out of the alternate dimension or breaking out of the prison, not actual prison, but like a mental prison or something like that. Right. right? A delusional mindscape. Right. We we've seen enough of these kind of 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 stories to know that those things can go on for quite a long time. And so as I was watching this episode, I was like, wow, this entire episode is going to be this. And I feel like we could have gotten there in six to ten minutes and just not had it be the whole episode. I felt like it could have been a chunk of an episode if they'd have figured out a way to pass the time without actually passing the time. And the weird thing about that particular episode is that it came on the heels of me reading a novel workshop of one of my fellow authors where she had something very similar. She had a character in a, again, coma-ish kind of thing and then had and then took up story real estate for this thing to play out. Now, the character is the lead character in the book. So... And, and, and I think in, in a similarity to the show, we know it's a major character. So guess what the audience knows, Scott? What does the audience know? That the main character is in a coma of some sort? 
take a wild guess, Scott. You think they're getting out of that coma? God, I hope so. Right. Right. They are. They are. All right. So, and, and if you're reading, look, if you're reading a book and the lead character gets in a coma and, and you are, hold on, I, I feel like I have to like visualize this, right? Like if you're reading a book, I, what I'm doing is I'm holding out my book right now to show that there's still like half an inch of book ahead of me. So the characters in the coma, Scott, you think they're getting out? Yeah, they probably are. Because right. that is like 50 pages of a 300-page novel that still is ahead of me, <laughs> you know? There's yeah. still more real estate in this book. So that kind of led to this idea of story time versus elapsed time. And if there was a better way to do it, you know? Like, I, I will say that my note to my fellow author was, I, I appreciated it. But I also felt that there were there were moments where you could have kind of nipped and tucked and made it just a little bit shorter. Um, in, in, I gotta in, say, in, just jumping in, yeah. I don't enjoy those stories at all. Right. <laughs> like right. for me, the when a character is in some sort of coma, it's just part of the story that they need to get out of. So I kind of don't give a shit what's going on in their head um, for too long of a period. Like if you give me, let's say it's a TV show. Give me five minutes of that and let's get the fuck out of there. You know, cut to some other scenes or whatever. Get back to the character. Have the character wake up. It's just prolonging that. It doesn't doesn't build anything for me. It doesn't do anything for me because you know the character will get out of it. Especially if it's the main character. Um, it's It's not a fun part of the story. Like for me personally... So I couldn't imagine sitting through a whole movie of it, of a whole book of it, where it is 75% of the story. It, it needs to move along and needs to move along quick, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, in, in the case of the TV series, I think that that's the TV equivalent of writing for the trade, right? And and that that sort of goes into a comment that you made before, where... You, you had friends or saw on social media or wherever that there was a series, whatever. It doesn't matter what series, right? A TV series. And it was like, wow, that episode sort of felt like a waste. Now, your counter to that is generally like, it's a story. Don't you like more story? Right. Right. But at least when you kind of get into this point of view, you can see why people might not want more story because it's like, I want more good story, though. I want I want more story that I actually feel that I actually have a question on. Right. I I want I would like more story since we're ordering at the bar here where I don't know the outcome where if you put your lead character in a coma and I know damn well that this is a nine episode series and I'm on episode six. Guess what? That character's getting out of the coma, brother, (laughs) you know, because and, and it's the whole like because if they're not, we never would have spent time in the coma anyway. I mean. To writers out there or storytellers out there, man, what a challenging dare that is. Put your character in a coma and then kill him. <laughs> right? right? Like, like if you can pull that off, because remember, you can do anything as long as you can pull it off. Man, mm-hmm. I feel like that is like the the Greg Luganus <laughs> top level of difficulty, right? That's, that's a triple Lindy. If you can pull off the triple Lindy, um, then, then wow, would that be impressive? Cause that's just a, a third rail people choose to not touch. 
Yeah, definitely. And or not dare. Any, any kind of story that's a bad story is a bad story. So, yeah. you know, definitely not not the thing I was talking about specifically. Um, it was uh, it was Jessica Jones. It was a TV show about Jessica Jones. There was just an episode that didn't have to do with the main storyline, but it was still mm-hmm. an entertaining episode to me. I still enjoyed yeah, it. Totally. Um, and and that's that's really my point. It's just like, but was the episode entertaining? And, and the whole their argument was what it had nothing to do with the main story. I was like, but was it good? Well, yeah, yeah. it was a good story. Okay. Then shut the fuck up. But, up. It, but if it's a bad story, then, then it's a bad then, fucking story. Then thing number two, fuck you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, back and, to and, the beginning, get back to the beginning. And, and, and I think it's fair. Like your, your point is fair because you know, you know to, to continue my trend here with Phantom Menace and St. Anger, I'm also a bit of apologist. I'm a bit of an apologist for that first season of Iron Fist. I thought the first season of Iron Fist was fine. Now, the second season, I lasted 30 minutes and I was like, this got stupid. And then I stopped watching it. So who knows how good season two of Iron Fist was. But when I saw season (laughs) one of Iron Fist, I know there were the complaints on it being like slow or whatever. And to me, it was it was in to me, Iron Fist season one had it been released in 2007 or eight would have been lauded as a good series right. because it was very much in that Smallville heroes, slow burn, no flight, no tights kind of vibe. And so it worked for me. It was a slow burn. It didn't have a ton of action. It had some, but like it worked right. So slow doesn't mean bad to your point. And I know that, look, I, I love my contrarian opinions and I'll just stack iron fist on top of my phantom menace and St. Anger opinions and just live on that hill. I'm cool with it. You know, what's funny is I liked the second season of iron fist better than the first season. Did and you? I think okay. the complaint was, Iron Fist, the character, is a goofy motherfucker. Mm-hmm. He was way too serious. And the other complaint was, this guy doesn't know how to fight. And mm-hmm. so, um, because he had a very short period in which, like, okay, so I was a bit of an apologist for that. I was like, oh, he got the part with a few weeks before they started shooting. So he had no time to train. So it's like, I was an apologist for that, but that was a huge complaint was, this guy doesn't know how to fight. Iron Fist is supposed to be one of the best fighters. And then um, his character was a little flat. And Danny Rain is a, a or is a goofball, so uh, this is not that character. So that those were the issues, and they did a little bit of a course correction in the second season. And um, I don't is is it Danny Rand Rand? Rand. Yeah. There we mm-hmm. go. Sorry, I was like Rain. That's not right. Danny Rand. Danny Ainge. Yeah. Danny Ainge, the motherfucker. <laughs> Fucking Danny he's, Ainge. He's here to thwart all y'all. Wearing green everywhere. Iron yeah. fist Celtics. It don't matter. Yeah, son of a bitch. He loves his green. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah. That, that, that's a anyway. That's our section on uh, Marvel Netflix shows. Yeah, so, yeah. So let's going, let's get back to the back actual to the main topic. Going back Sorry. to the actual main topic, I think the the thing it prompts is when you have these kind of things and and you know you want to do them in your story. What is the right balance? What is the right speed of elapsed time and story time, right? Because to use the the very, very quick, quick and dirty basic analogy for writing novels, you kind of have two things. You have scene and you have summary. You think of scene and summary as a as a foot on the accelerator. When you're in scene, 
You have taken your foot all the way off the accelerator. You have braked, and now you're inching forward without touching the gas pedal. You are seeing things in real time as they happen. That is seen. Summary, you start to put that foot down, and sometimes you can put the foot all, you can put that pedal all the way to the floor if you want. So summary is you are going to be accelerating through real time by recapping stuff that happened because you're you the god writer the god author the god creator are not that interested in representing that in the story so that i think that's a great way to sort of frame this up because how much story time do you want to have versus how much elapsed time do you want to have for me like like i think scott gave a, a i think i gave an answer we could have spent 6 minutes in this coma instead of 40 and I think we would have been okay. And I think to your point, what you said, like, I, I would like us to get out of here as soon as possible, right? Like, let's let's try to get out of here as soon as possible. Now, the caveats always exist for the thing that is amazing. Like, maybe there's something that's amazing. You know, maybe there's something in this scene that needs to be slowed down so that, because it matters. And if that, if that happens, that's okay, right? Like, like... All bets are off if, if it rocks for your story. But I think what we're talking about are these kind of things where, you know, I think the audience might be pulling out the wrap it up B sign and just saying, like, can we can we get back to the main story? Because this is sort of a side quest. Right. And we don't want the side quest. We want the main story. You know, and that's another aspect of that is how interesting your supporting cast is. What is going on in the story while your main character is in this coma? Are we sitting with this main character in the coma and we're seeing what they're seeing the entire time? Is their supporting cast reacting to what was going on and how that character got there? And Mm -hmm. what are the other storylines in your story that are going on with those supporting characters? Are they having a completely different adventure going on while this character is laid out? Okay, if they're super interesting, then it might be okay to take a step away and just focus on those side characters doing whatever they're doing? Or is your story inside the character's head while they're in this coma, dream state, whatever it is, is that world something that you have been wanting for that character? So, like, I'm just thinking of, like, you know, let's say this is a troubled character. He never gets what he wants or she never gets whatever she wants. In this dream state, in that world, they're getting what they wanted, and there's interesting things going on inside. Okay, Mm -hmm. maybe that'll keep me there for a while. It's not going to keep me there the whole time. It's going to be something I want to wrap up because it's not the reality of what's really going on with that character. But something along those lines can keep you there a little longer than you would think. Um, Mm -hmm. But it can't be the majority of... I don't know the story. There needs to be some kind of movement. And like for me specifically, that's, that's what I think. So, um, you know, kind of get in, get out is, is the Mm -hmm. thing hit the high points of what you're trying to do. If you've been building up to this moment because of like a revelation that the character has while they're in this coma or dream state, then there you go. That's something you've been building to. So it's all really, it's more or less a case by case of how you're executing it and what's been going on in that story to get you there and then to get you out of there. Absolutely, man. I mean, it's it, it, so many ways it comes down to the execution. While you were talking and I was ta- and I was thinking about other examples that might work, too, I came back to the the timeless classic Rocky Four. <laughs> when when Rocky is training to fight Drago. 
That is a training montage. We know this because there's a song called Training Montage on the soundtrack, I'm pretty sure. Or it's Robert Tepper's No Easy Way Out. I can't remember. Anyway, um, but the important part is it's a training montage. We don't need a whole lot of movie devoted to how Rocky Balboa is pulling, you know, whatever, you know, crude oil on a sled in the in the hills of Siberia, right, to get ready to to fight Ivan Drago. We need to see doses of it, and we need to feel that some level of time has passed. But that doesn't mean that we need to pass a lot of time. So I think in wrapping this up, if the story warrants it, then go for it. If it's something that you feel you need to say and it's helpful, go for it. This is all very seasoned to taste because only you know your story. But but if this is something where it's not the critical part of your story, then odds are you are going to want to put your foot down. You're going to you're going to want to press that accelerator and you're going to want to do some tricks on passing the time. And that's not hard. You know, like if theoretically if you had a character in a coma in a comic, and you wanted to pass time without taking up too much time space, here's one idea. You could have one page where that character's wife, husband, significant other, whatever, is sitting there by their bedside, and you just take the exact same panel, and you and you have day one, day 33, day right. 44, day mm-hmm. 75, and then you get to the end of the page, and you're at day 273 or whatever, and this character is in the exact same pose, because you decided you wanted to spend one page of real estate on a repeat of the same panel nine times, just to show that three quarters of a year had passed, right? So, crude example, but it's worth evaluating when it comes to your own stories, right? Like, stick to the meat of the story, and if this thing isn't the meat of the story, then Maybe there's some ways that you can show time passing without actually devoting too much story real estate to it. Yeah, I think that's a great way if you're just trying to convey time and how long they've been there. I think that's a perfect example. Like, you know, you can potentially see the character, uh, let's say it's a dude. His, his hair is getting longer. His beard's getting longer. Um, the supporting character that's there at the hospital or the supporting characters, um, they're interchanging. And then so there's long periods of time where there's no one. And then maybe there's just this one character that's always there. So mm-hmm. there's those those side elements of that same repeating pattern makes it interesting. And it, and it gives the reader, the viewer, the experience that time is passing and it's passing by slowly. Mm-hmm. And... Um, any more than that, like you can do a two-page spread of that that same image with those characters, supporting characters moving around it, and it'll get that idea across that a long period of time. You know, you went up to two hundred and seventy-four days. You know, it's just like yeah, it's a, it's a fucking shitload of time. You're going to need two pages worth of that for people to really grasp that. And it, honestly, it's not that much real estate to burn to get that story across. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anyway, um, hey, that had some fun tangents and meandering. So hopefully you, the listeners, like that as well, because we did bring it to a head. But with that, we've gotten to that old bullshit. Do you have some bullshit to be brought in? I, you know, I was listening to last week's episode this this week, um, the we- this week's where it came out. So maybe two weeks for you guys. Mm-hmm. Two weeks prior, uh, right. And I was talking about how I'm taking a break from eBay. Yeah. And I am. <laughs> Please tell However, me. However. 
However, this is the greatest episode ever. I'm going to I'm going to after this, after we record this, I'm going to sit in a hammock and I'm just going to have my hands behind my head going. That was the best episode ever. (laughs) So, okay, I got a couple of books since the last couple of weeks that I said I was not going to get anything. But it was because I had watched an episode of a YouTube show where they were talking about a Grant Morrison book, which was essentially his response to Watchmen. And I was just like, oh, what's this? And it's Pac- Multiversity Pax Americana, number one. Have you read this? So the comparisons that they were using, I was like, oh, shit, it really is. But the So it's Grant Morrison on the writing, Frank Quitely on the art. And I'm like, well, then. I think I need to go buy this book. So, look, I like The Watchmen. I'm not the biggest Watchmen guy. Um, I know it's a highly touted book. Like, people love it. It it changed the way comics were done along with The Dark Knight and stuff like that. I get it. Um, It's not necessarily my bag. Totally. So... Yeah, I, I would say this, that... And and I feel this way about some of the novels that I've read over the last couple of years. I can read something and acknowledge it as a modern classic, but I didn't enjoy it. Right. Right. Like it's a modern classic. I I didn't have a good time at all. It's not enjoyable. So, you know, right. yeah, modern classic, but I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And, and, and look, we get it. Like there's, there's thousands of people out there that are against what we're saying. And, and most of you guys might be those same people. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm just me particularly. It's just not. Oh, yeah, my no, dad. I mean, I, I, I love Watchmen, but okay. it ain't, it ain't rereadable. Yes, I enjoyed it. it. Okay, so that's I guess that's where I fall on. Yeah, I got it right there. You know, I like, own it as well. Yeah, I read it once, and I'm like, I don't need to reread this. You know, I enjoyed it for what it was. I understood the greatness as I was reading it. I 100 percent skipped all of the pirate shit. Didn't need it. I read the first couple of pages of it, and I was like, I don't need to read this. I'm just going to read the rest of it. So I skipped that element of it. However. I really do enjoy Grant Morrison, and I do love Frank Quitely. So I was like, okay, I need to pick this up. I was able to grab a 1 in 50 variant for $3.35. Good Lord. Near mint, yes. And then the same seller was selling a 1 in 10 variant near mint sketch cover version, and I got that for $0.99. So I got two fucking number ones for a total of... $3 Three dollar or $4.34 and then um, $5 shipping. So those are coming in. The, the, honestly, my highest bids were not too much far off of that. I think I, I went like, I'll give you six bucks for that one in 50 variant. I'm not doing any more than that. And I, it was like $3 for the sketch cover, right? So I got them dirt cheap. Um, no problems there. So I broke my rule because it was like these are under ten dollars this isn't going to hurt anything i'm going to spend uh five dollars an issue on brand new books at the comic store so i can totally justify picking these two books up and um i've been really trying to find a good copy of glory the complete saga um it was a uh, the hardcover which is apparently pretty expensive when you're trying to get it on the aftermarket and I got another one today um, because I have I did get one. It was definitely a library copy. It was beat to shit. The spine was essentially broken when I got Mm. it. And I'm like and I got that for I think for 12, 10 bucks or something like that. So I I was like, this will not do. 
this can't mm-hmm. be the book I have in my collection. Um, but there was another one that came in today, and it was at $16. Still a stock image of the cover, so it's not actual, because it's like one of these big big eBay companies. This guy has like 6,419 reviews. So mm-hmm. he's he's shooting out, they're shooting out books like nonstop. Um, so I'm like, okay, the, they said the, the quality is good. So we'll mm-hmm. see what that means. As long as the spine's not broken and and like as shitty as that last one is, I think this will be the last version I bought. But yeah. on average, that book sells between forty and seventy dollars online. So okay. hopefully, I can get it for the sixteen, and it's in good enough condition to where I can go like take the shit off my list. I can't yeah. keep buying copies of this hardcover. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sort of at a quandary because I'm going to tell you. Uh, how about I just tell you and I'll beep it out. But that's the thing I'm considering getting. But some of those some of those things that I just mentioned to Scott, they're so expensive that it's like, no, screw that. I just want like the graphic like novel. Single so o- OK, yeah. so you, initially you're talking about the single issues. Yeah, if I if I can get single issues and can afford them, sure. But there are some other things in that genre where the single issues are just too too expensive, way more money than I want to spend, and I'll just grab a trade whenever I want, right? Because I go. really just want to look at them and read them um, because I'm intrigued by this. So I haven't broken the seal on any of those yet, but I'm, I definitely have my eye on some things. Oh, yeah. Um, but I, okay, so I have one bit of bullshit. Real quick, and, um, in that yeah. pause, I have five percent left on my laptop. I think I have oh. enough to get through. But just so you know, there's a bit okay, of no a time problem. frame there. Then, then I yeah, I won't pontificate too much. Then, so I, uh, as Scott knows by the shirt I'm wearing, I went to see Gate Creeper the other night. Yeah, and I was yeah. trying to like you posted that on your social media. I'm like, what the fuck does that say? <laughs> and then so I was just staring at it for a while, and I was like, okay, that's Creeper. What is this yeah. first word? And I was like, oh shit. It, Gatekeep Creeper? And then I sent yeah. it to you. And then your next post, it said the name of the band. I was like, oh, fuck, I was That's right. right. Okay. Yeah, because it was yeah. a live All video part of the uh, 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 metal uh, logos you had said. It's yes. like you, you yes. do a logo and you make it as least readable as possible. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Gatekeeper was not the headliner. They were the opening act. They were good. I've never seen them play that long a set. They played for 40 minutes, which feels like an eternity for them because they have a bunch of one minute songs now. So it was cool to see them. It was cool. I mean, it was weird because I've seen them in such smaller places. So to see them in like a big, you know, 3000 seat auditorium was uh, was a little different. But they were opening for Amon Amarth. Amon Amarth is a pretty big death metal band. And without getting too much into it. I saw Amon Amarth in 2005. They came on the stage. They wore black t-shirts. I barely knew who they were. And they were like cool enough. They were pretty standard death metal. I didn't, I wasn't particularly blown away. In fact, at the time, I remember saying to uh, the person that had gone with me, I said, you know, if Death Clock Metalocalypse was a real band, this is exactly who they would sound like. They sound the most (laughs) Death Clock-like out of any band I've ever heard. So I enjoyed it. But they were part of an all-day festival, and that was that. So in the meantime, you know, Amon Amarth continued to to make a bunch of albums, and one of their songs has ended up becoming a modern death metal classic. That is Twilight of the Thunder God. It's a fantastic song. In fact, anybody out there, check it out. If you don't like, if once Amon Amarth, if once they start to sing, you don't like that, try the version by Sabaton. Or if you want to go deep, find the bluegrass cover of Twilight of the Thunder God by a band called Slaughter of the Bluegrass. 
It is an unbel- It is my favorite version of Twilight of the Thunder God. It's done all as a bluegrass cover. Fantastic. It's mm-hmm. only on YouTube, though. You can't find it on, like, streaming services. So anyway, I hadn't seen them on the Marth in a while. Now, to me, they are decent enough death metal band. You know, I know they kind of do, like, a Viking theme and stuff. And, you know, that's that's fine. I'll, I'll check them out, right? What I, what I ended up with is a band that has really leaned into the Viking ethos. Like, they have a big Viking front of a ship on their stage, and they have two big 20-foot-tall mimic stone Vikings kind of like doing the typical holding sword pose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is fine, right? I still get that, except before the band played, a bunch of people bring, like, inflatable axes and shit to their shows. And so, like, I don't know how I feel about this. Because like, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm just a, like a death metal ass death metal for death metal's sake. Like for me, death metal is people showing up in jeans and a t-shirt and playing stuff that will crush your face. So for, uh, for Amon Amarth, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for Amon Amarth. They make great music. It was a good time. It was fun to watch, but it did feel a little like, like part death metal, part cosplay. You know what I'm saying? And it, it makes it. <laughs> It makes it a little weird for me. I, I can't explain it. You know, that's uh-huh. it. I, I don't have a point. I just thought that it was, it wasn't what I expected because I expected yeah. just death metal for death metal's sake. And what I got was sort of like part metal and part Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know, which is, I love the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I've, I've seen it live over 40 times, you know, but, but is that death metal though? <laughs> you know, so right. I, I wonder if it's myself, just they're trying but, to become a little more marketable and a little bit more mainstream so they can make more money. You know what I mean? I mean, again, that, and that's the thing, right? Like, I, and I'm not even sure they made that decision, dude. I think fans may have made that decision and just taken to Amon Amarth, enjoyed it, and then decided that, like, we really love your Viking motif. We're going to come dress like Vikings or we're going to bring inflatable yeah. axes and, and do whatever we need to do. I mean, there's a song they, they recently, but I think at some point, this success did happen because I haven't seen him in 15 years, 18 years, really. Oh, wow. And, uh, and at some point along the way, I think that success happened and then they leaned into it because they have a new song out off their last album, new as in a year, year and a half old, called Put Your Back Into The Ore. And, and there's a part where the song just breaks down and people go, row, row. And people in the pit get down and mimic rowing oh, on shit. a Viking ship. And I'm like... When did this happen? When when did Amon Amarth become like again like kind of like this this odd fusion of death metal and cosplay? You know what I mean? It's yeah, fine. Have a bit it's of fun. a gimmick. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it again, I, I I have no point. I just I was just surprised, <laughs> right? Like that's it. Anyway, um, okay. So in the interest of Scott's battery battery life, you can find me on Keith underscore in. You can find me reviewing beers because that's what we need to do. Yeah, because I fucked up again. Yeah, that's okay. I'm here to I'm here to help. Um, so I got Joseph Brow Oktoberfest. I did not mention previously. It is a German style lager. It is a 5.3 percent ABV. It is a 12 ouncer. I really enjoyed this. So Joseph Brow is two for two as far as I go. Um, mm-hmm. I enjoyed their their hef, and I enjoyed this. So it was definitely worth the cost of. Um, you know, the can, which I don't even remember, to be honest with you, it was probably a dollar, two dollars, yeah. maybe. So you can find this at Trader Joe's. Uh, bang for your buck flavor. 
Shit, I'm I'm hemming and hawing between seven and a half to an eight. I'll, I'll give it a seven and a half. I wasn't mm-hmm. blown away by it, yeah. but I really enjoyed this, and I will go buy more of this. So I'll say seven yeah. and a half for the Joseph Brow Oktoberfest. Okay, and and I'm going to pretty much mimic your review. You know, I think on a previous episode I had mentioned that oh, I remember Speculose Cookie Butter Ale as an eight point five or an eight, but I'm um, getting through this can. I I have it at a seven. I think it is good. And to your point, like it is, there's that, there's that weird nutmeggy cinnamon thing that hits you in the face on the first couple sips. It's got a wallop, man. It is 9.5%. So, I mean, you're, you're hitting a really nice power rating with 16 ounces of that. I, I own four of them now three. So I am going to enjoy them when I, when I want that little bit heavier of a punch, but I would say it's a seven. I mean, it's, it's quirky, it's weird and it's a weird flavor. So if, if you kind of want those mixes and you also want to feel good by the end of the can, uh, then, then I say go for it. But yeah, my mimic, my, uh, my review pretty much mimics yours. I I have it at a 7.0. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. So with that, Keith underscore invader, that is me on Instagram. I'm posting stuff about my books, the stuff I'm reading, and of course, things I am doing. And if you want to check out my stuff in a little more detail, you can hit my website at keithrfoster.com. I have pages there on Three Protectors, Kung Fu in Space, Kadoja, Giant Monsters, Meet HP Lovecraft, and Animals, dot, 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 get infected via virus and now want to murder people. I also have a web store at KeithRFoster.com. You can still get First Prince of Animals number one. I still have a few left. So, hey, they're there waiting if you want to grab them. KeithRFoster.com. You can find my stuff at AccidentalAliens.com, Second Shift, Minimum Wage Superheroes, uh, Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, A Thousand Years in the Future on a Different Planet, and uh, Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost, at Scott Lost, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, you can find me on all of those platforms. I will be posting art, random things. Um, I have been posting more to Twitter slash X and threads lately and Facebook um, because I am more writing things that's going on as opposed to showing things. I'm in this weird state where Paradise Hills is done as far as the art goes, but it's a 12-page story. I don't want to show too much, and we'll be having Mm -hmm. a Kickstarter coming up, so the floodgates of posts will be coming, and I don't want to do them right now. So follow me on any of that social media. If uh, you want to support our books, go to our websites that we just mentioned. Pick those up. Um, If you enjoy this podcast, we do not have a uh, uh, what is it called? Patreon. Patreon. We We do not have a Patreon. We're not trying to give you um, extra little shit because this is all extra. This is all free. So Same the only thing. thing we ask of you is to back our Kickstarters and to pick up our books whenever that is. So um, Kickstarters are coming, I'm sure, but our websites are there if you don't want to wait for those. Yeah, Playboy, you know what to do. And hey, you know what else you can do? You can give us five stars because, okay, so let's say this is your first episode. So we we hope you enjoyed it. We hope that you understand why this podcast is officially trademark the five motherfucking star podcast experience so you just got and 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 if you've been here for a while then thank you and if you've given us a review so far thank you if not go on over to spotify throw us five stars go on over to apple Podcasts. five stars and some words the algorithm loves the stars but scott and i love the words so if you can take a minute two minutes out of your day and hit us up with some love we'd appreciate it man thank you and if you have any questions comments concerns you can hit us up at the making comics podcast 
at gmail.com. Uh, if you if you have a idea for a, so, a show subject or anything along those lines, or if there's just one thing that we touched on a little bit you want to hear more about, that's the place to do it. Making Comics Podcast at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on any of those uh, social media platforms that we had previously mentioned. Yeah, and with that, we've made it. I've queued up the music. We did it. We made the world's best cup of coffee. And uh, and with that, we will see you all next week. 2% left on my iPad. Yeah, yeah.